Hey, my name is David Thibodeau, and welcome to the Sports for Social Impact podcast, the podcast that explores all the ways that sport can put purpose at the center of what we do to have the maximum impact. We try to explore a range of topics with guests from all over the world for how sports can be used to tackle challenging societal issues, ranging from homelessness, climate change, gender equality, inclusion, education, and so much more. Thanks for joining in on this conversation. So the new segment for this story is, um, you know, about that classic advice that you may have heard or may have gotten yourself is, you know, to get 10,000 steps a day. And, you know, 10,000 steps a day will, is, is really excellent for, for, for your health. So a new study from the uh, JAMA or Gamma <laughs> um, internal medicine um, found that your walking speed and intensity is just as important as how many steps you take in a day. So walking 10,000 steps a day has long been associated with a reduced risk of dementia, heart disease, cancer, and mortality. But experts have now found that a faster pace, like a power walk, shows benefits beyond how many steps are recorded. The take-home message um, here is that for for protective health benefits, people could not only ideally aim for 10,000 steps a day, but also aim to walk faster. So according to the research, every 2,000 steps walked uh, reduced the risk of premature death incrementally by 8% to 11%, up to approximately 10,000 steps a day. So, you know, definitely interesting. Um, so, you know, when, next time you're out for, out for your walk, um, you know, think about the speed and the intensity that you're walking and, and, you know, not just for a stroll, but, you know, really try to pick it up some. So that's the news for today. Climate and sport. Sometimes the relationship between climate and sport is, you know, obscure, but just like any industry, sports will be impacted by climate change, just like sport is contributing to climate change through carbon emissions. Now, so originally this episode, I wanted to talk about um, how sports is being impacted by climate change, how sports have to adapt, and also how sports can reduce their own, their own impact um, and, and you know, taking and reducing their own carbon emissions. But as you may have noticed, this episode is called Sport and Climate Change Part 1. So that's because I decided to um, ultimately divide the two episodes into two different parts. I think it was important to talk about both um, in a... In, in an in-depth way that we that we cover the topic um, as much as it should because it is a really important topic to cover. So this episode covers um, how sports is being impacted by climate change and the need for sports to adapt and how sports can adapt. So to do this, we talk with Greg Dingle, who is a lecturer and researcher at La Trobe University in Australia. So we talk about all those good things with Greg um, in this episode, and it's a really great conversation. So just to set up uh, the conversation a little bit. So a recent study found that approximately half of former Winter Ho- Olympic host cities will likely not be able to host a Games in 2050 due to lack of snow and ice. 
by 2050, almost one-fourth of England football league teams, uh, their stadiums, so 23 out of 92, are projected to be partially or totally flooded each year. So the impacts of, of climate change on sport is all around us. It's already happening. You know, we, we, we have a couple more examples in the episode with Greg. Um, but, it, you know, it's already happening. Climate change is already impacting sports in, in multiple different ways. And it will only keep getting worse. So please listen to this episode and, you know, think about, um, you know, how sports can learn to adapt to the changing climate. Welcome today to Greg Dingle, who is a lecturer in sport management and a researcher at the Centre of Sport and Social Impact at Latrobe University in Melbourne, Australia. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I was really looking forward to this conversation. Um, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your areas of research? Okay, well, uh, I am a lecturer in sport management at Latrobe University and uh, my uh, area of expertise or research expertise is around sport and climate change, but more specifically uh, sport and uh, climate impacts on, on sports. Um, so I sometimes describe myself as a researcher in uh, climate uh, risks, uh, impacts, vulnerability, resilience and adaptation. So that that's kind of the, the research space that, that I occupy. Um, and uh, it's probably worth noting just, just for your, your listeners at the outset, that I, I, there are two major perspectives around the, the, the nexus or the relationship between sport and, and climate. Uh, one is, and this, and this is the, the one with the, the longer history, uh, what, what, is, what are the impacts of sport on, on climate? And that really is a, is a conversation around what are the greenhouse gas emissions that, that sport uh, produces either directly or indirectly. Um, and, and, and that's the part of a, like a broader conversation about what, what, what's the impact or, um, of, of sport on, on nature or the natural natural environment. It, was, it really comes out of a, a paper that was argued in 2020 by some my colleagues, Brian McCullough and Melanie Orr and Tim Callison. And, um, and then, uh, so that's, that's probably a, a not nice way to begin things. Yeah, I, I'm more concerned with the impacts of climate on sport rather than so much uh, the emissions that, that, uh, that sport produces. Right. Yeah. And I definitely hope to get, um, you know, more into that as well as, you know, that's definitely the, you know, what we want to talk about today on this podcast. Um, but before we get into that, I, you know, I really like sharing, you know, resources and stuff through the podcast for anybody listening. So I know that you're a member of the sport ecology group. Could you tell us a little bit about, um, that just so as anybody listening, if they're you know interested, um, in learning more, you know, having that resource, um, what, what is it? Um, the Sport Ecology Group is a, a collective of uh, researchers and scholars, and the, the common thread between the, the, the members of the, of the group are people who are all academics who are concerned with the relationship between sport and the natural environment. Now, that takes on different guises. Uh, some of us are um, interested in, in doing uh, research and, and uh, um, public engagement uh, around uh, the impacts of uh, 
uh, sport on climate, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, those sorts of things, carbon uh, footprint analysis and that, that sort of stuff. There are others of the group who are more focused on um, fan engagement and so looking at, at the, the power of the, the, the sport institution to influence the behaviours of, of fans in, in particular, um, spectators uh, uh, around you know, how can they uh, engage in more, you know, uh, more pro-environmental behaviours, things like you know, reducing their own carbon footprints and, and, and the like. Um, and then there's a, another smaller group of researchers who are looking at, well, okay, uh, atmospheric climate and, and the natural environment more generally uh, has an impact on sport. What, what are the, those import impacts? What are those risks? What, what's sports vulnerability to those impacts? And then um, the really exciting thing, which is uh, adaptation. How, how can the, the sport institution adapt to, to those impacts in a, in a, in a, in a, in a world where our, uh, geophysical environment is changing so that, that's probably like a, a broad summary and uh, we uh, try to do as much um, uh, public engagement as we can industry engagement so we do presentations um, and so we do uh, some media and, and so it's about probably giving a voice for the sports sector uh, uh, at this intersection of uh, sport and nature right awesome and I, I think that's you know, a really important intersection to be at. And I hope, you know, we'll obviously talk all about that more. So, um, so what does, you know, we, often we talk about climate change and, um, you know, the environment and stuff, the word sustainability comes up. So what, what does that word sustainability mean to you and how does it relate to sports? Yeah, the word, the word sustainability, I, I, I do teach a sustainability subject here at the university. Uh, we teach first year students about sustainability. And it's probably fair to say that sustainability, it's, it's intellectual uh, and um, origins uh, go back uh, several decades, probably uh, to at least the, the 1960s. And it's a term that, that, that came out of uh, the environmental movement and concerns about you know, human impacts on, on nature. Um, uh, and then it, it really took on um, a more sort of formalized uh, understanding in the 1980s uh, with the um, World um, Commission on Sustainable Development uh, uh, and the, the conference, which then sort of formally adopted a definition of sustainability, which is around uh, how do we uh, balance the needs of um, present generations with the needs of uh, future generations. Um, the, the, just to give you a little bit of sort of nuance to, to, to the, the term that, that typically there, there is, or there's a general agreement that the term sustainability involves three dimensions, um, uh, social sustainability. So uh, the, the realm of people, uh, environmental sustainability. So the, the world, the realm of the, the physical world, the, the, the natural world, and then there's economic sustainability. And, the, the general sort of argument is that we, we need uh, sustainable um, uh, people, sustainable uh, nature, and we need sustainable business and, and commerce because the, the, the three are intertwined in, in that where we make uh, business sustainable, we make nature sustainable, and we make the lives of people sustainable. So that, that's a, a little bit sort of broad brush overview. I, I guess the, the term for me, I... What I typically do, and this is something I do with my students, is I actually uh, point out that, first of all, sustainability is a compound word. It's, it's actually two words that are joined together, sustain and ability. And 
and get them to, to flip the order of the words around and say, okay, uh, what if we talk about the ability to sustain? And so it raises the question, well, what needs the ability to sustain? Well, and it sort of comes back, well, people need the ability to sustain their lives. Uh, the, we need the, the natural world, so all, all species and all ecosystems. We, we, we need the natural world um, to have the, the capacity or ability to sustain itself because it, it nurtures uh, humans. Um, and we also need uh, business to be able to sustain themselves in, in, a, in a changing environment. Now, uh, that probably gives you a, a reasonable sense of, of what I mean. I think the, the, the term is, uh, it's, it's become a, a bit diffuse. It means all things to all, all people. But I, I, in general, it, it's, it's got a, a lot of uh, value uh, and, and that's reflected in the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, which grew out of the Millennium Development Goals. Yeah, so th th there's a real uh, formal um, weight get given to, to the term now, and uh, we have the goals that, that reflect that. So that, that's probably um, uh, an overview of what the term uh, means to me. Yeah. Uh, as, it, as it relates to sport, I, I think um, sports is, is, a, is an institution. Um, it's, a, it's a global institution. It, spans borders and across cultures and um uh and as part of a, a much global sort of network of, of institutional arrangements it's part of a, a global economy it's part of its regional economies uh um and so and, and you know as as, a, as part of sort of a, a broader sort of network of, of structures and patterns of behavior it, it's it's also um, drawn into the sustainable development goals. So uh, it's now more, more, more broadly accepted that sport needs the ability to sustain itself, which means it needs to, uh, as, a, as a collective, think about well, what, what's the impact of, of sport on, on nature, but also what's the impact of, of uh, sport on, on people. Um, I think the other thing that, that perhaps is perhaps not so explicit is that one of the reasons why sustainability matters to sport or maybe sport matters to sustainability is that sport is is an institution that has people's attention it's it's genuinely global in nature it's cross-cultural um it, it represents about one percent of global gdp in economic terms and it's got this, I think, and I think there's quite a few people who agree that it's got this enormous potential to carry a message about sustainability. Now, it's got the potential to shift people's um, thinking and their behaviour around their own lives. And this kind of brings in the work of Brian McCullough and sort of fan engagement and so on. I think uh, sustainability really matters to sport because it, it's got the ability to have a conversation with people about okay we've got some uh, some sustainability challenges um sport can help shape uh, those uh, um, the responses to those challenges right absolutely and I, and I think a lot of people you know definitely agree with that that um you know sport can be used as a platform to advocate for many different issues and topics and you know we've highlighted a lot of them on the on the podcast and it's really it's really amazing to see how how broad sport can be used and how you know versatile it really is. So, so now getting it really into the, you know, the, you know, the, the, 
you know, your, I guess your areas of research. So how will sports be impacted by climate change? Well, I, mean, I, th I think it, it's not just how will sports uh, be impacted by climate change. I, I, it's, I think another question is how is sport, uh, how is sport currently being impacted by mm -hmm. climate change? So just, just to give you a, a little bit of um, context, it, it's not a bad idea just to, to think about some sort of general, uh, so some four, not general concepts, but, but concepts that, that have migrated out of the uh, climate science literature and, and they are climate risks climate impacts, uh, um, climate uh, vulnerability and, uh, um, and climate adaptation. Now, um, risks are what could happen. Uh, it's, you know, it revolves around the variabilities of likelihood and then the consequences of a particular climate risk. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I should go back a step. Uh, climate hazards is, is probably where we, where we should start. Now, a climate hazard is, is the stuff that nature gives us. Uh, it could be... Uh, it's the extremes. Uh, it could be um, uh, a storm, uh, a cyclone, a hurricane. It could be uh, a drought. Um, uh, it could be, you know, wildfires, forest fires, those sorts of things. Um, there's the risks of those as happening. And, uh, and then there's this notion of climate impacts. Now, the impacts are, are what we actually experience uh, as a result of climate hazards. So, um, to, so to give you an example, if we go back to uh, the, uh, January 2020, we had some significant bushfires uh, here in Australia, um, it received coverage uh, in, me, in the media around the world. Um, it sort of damaged you know, huge swathes uh, of, um, sort of you know, forests in, in this country and it created all sorts of chaos and, and, and disruption. Now that, that was on the back of a significant uh, drought event. And now uh, we would describe those fires and, and the, the drought that preceded that as, as climate hazards. Now, um, now um, sport gets wrapped up in that, you know, we get sort of sports facilities that are, that are burnt to the ground or, or you, uh, in the case of, you know, um, the bushfires, we, we had uh, smoke, uh, bushfire smoke in, in the air over huge parts of Southeastern Australia for weeks and did almost two months afterwards. Uh, and, and so the air quality in cities like Canberra was, 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 was so bad that uh, it was, uh, it, Canberra became one of the most polluted cities in the world for, for a short period. So th this, this is a couple of examples. I mean, the, the other opposite uh, climate hazards is really around sort of hurricanes, uh, extreme rainfall, and then the floods that eventuate from that. Now, to give you another Australian example, in, in um, March and April this year, we had a, a flood event in um, on, on the east coast in uh, the northern New South Wales, which is the second biggest state uh, in Australia. Um, uh, it, we had sort of floods, which were, were, were in theory are meant to be one, once in a, in a hundred year events, but uh, they seem to be becoming more frequent. Uh, it's caused huge amounts of, of damage to communities in, the, in that part of the country. Uh, entire towns uh, flooded, and of course, people lose their homes, their, their businesses, you know, the floodwaters take you know, weeks and if not months to, to recede. And in the case of sport, uh, there was uh, soccer, soccer competitions and other, other sports that just, just found that they, they, they couldn't play. They, um, there were tennis courts underwater, soccer fields underwater, um, uh, there were 
people who could, couldn't physically play sport because their sports facilities were, were un, underwater um, and and so on. So those sorts of climate hazards are really important. I, I think just to, to wrap it up, the, the next really important concept uh, is climate exposure. Some sports are climate exposed and some are not. And it basically means outdoor sports are climate exposed and indoor sports are not climate exposed. And, and that's important. Uh, it, it gives you a sense of, cl of climate risks. Um, so, for example, if, you, uh, you're, if you're uh, in football or um, baseball or um, if you play hockey, I mean, and field hockey, not ice hockey, um, yeah, they're all climate exposed sports. And so when climate extremes come along, they're, they're, that's problematic. Um, and then there's uh, climate adaptation. That, that, that's really the, the exciting thing. Now, um, there are risks of climate impacts. There are climate uh, from hazards, there are um, experienced impacts, but then adaptation is, is is where we get to do something about that you know, as as managers of sport, but also sports sports fans and sports practitioners. You know, adaptation is is a, is, a, is a term or a concept that's come out of the climate science literature, and it's about making adjustments and doing things differently and hopefully better um, in, in ways that will help to address some of these climate hazards that we are experiencing more frequently and uh, and when they do happen that they have more serious consequences um, so th that's probably like the conceptual uh, landscape um, I think that then just to give you a couple of other examples it, it, about climate impacts now they, they seem to play out in three different ways or, three, or what I call three different domains one, one is climate hazards impact sports in the in the um, on people, on facilities and, and organisations. Now, uh, a climate uh, impact on people it could be um, people who, are, if there's a bushfire or forest fire and the air quality is really poor, people can't play sport because it's too dangerous, particularly if you have a condition like asthma, um, or there's extreme heat. Uh, the temperatures are just so hot or so hot and humid that it's, it's literally unsafe to play sport. You get people experiencing heat stress and heat illness. Um, and then there's a risk of mortality from that. Then there's the impact uh, on facilities, and we've talked about some of those, you know, floods and fires and, and those sorts, sorts of things. But um, there's longer-term impacts associated with drought events here in Australia where sports fields like turf, grass, sports fields become, uh, during a drought, um, dry, hard, compacted, and they literally become as hard as concrete, and so they become virtually unplayable. Um, and then there's the, the final impact or domain of impact is, is organisations. Now, when sports, um, people and organisations um, find that their, their competitions are disrupted because it's too hot or too, too wet or it's, you know, it's flooded or um, you know, sports facilities are, um, are either degraded because they're drought affected or they're, they're flood damaged, that costs sport organisations money. And it... And it Increasingly, there's evidence to suggest that it's, that's significant amounts of, of money. Um, so, for example, if you've got a, a, a soccer field that, that's been flood affected, um, it, there's a significant number of cases where the entire field has to be not to be rehabilitated. It has to be effectively rebuilt, um, and, and that's that's a capital expense for, for sport. So, there's three uh, domains of, of impacts uh, for, for sport. 
and this needs to be happening more frequently, not just in Australia, but it, but in other parts um, of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, as you were talking, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, I think uh, during the 2020 Australian Tennis Open, like during the bushfires uh, that year, because of the poor quality, some of the some of the players actually had to uh, withdraw from the. Uh, from the competition and you're just you know an, an example of what you you know what you did say and, and you know obviously it's not just professional sports but um you know everyone just at the grass grassroots level and all the way up to the high professional as well um yeah so- i mean the, yeah, the the australian open was a good example of that we had players who were so badly affected by the poor air quality that they they, they simply had to to retire from from, from their games and uh, yeah that that's that's an example um Mm-hmm. So, so what can sports do about it, right? So, you know, sports is being impacted in all these different ways. So how can organizations adapt? How can, um, you know, can athletes even adapt in a way? Can, like the way we play our sports, can we adapt that in a way that makes it, um, I guess, you know, more resilient to climate change? And is, is there anything that we can do in terms, uh, you know, that, that way? I think there's a lot that we, we can do. And I think that the first thing to do is to um, think about the uh, duality of the sport-climate relationship. Now, um, although what we've talked about so far paints a rather pessimistic picture, um, yeah, my view is that we, we have um, a paradox at play when it comes to the sport-climate relationship. And, and that is that climate that that is atmospheric climate um so weather over decades and centuries uh, is both good and bad for sport it's both an enabler of sport and uh, it's a disruptor of sport so just to explain that um what what i mean is that uh, climate uh, which which is weather over decades decades and, and centuries you know weather is what we experience a particular time and a place uh, the weather in melbourne today is overcast but fine uh, but climate is is weather over over long long periods so we might say that the the climate this decade or this century in melbourne is is temperate um or, or if we're in a tropical environment we'd say we, the climate is tropical Climate most of the time is is good for sport. The the, the climate in in Melbourne and uh, is is an enabler of, of sport. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's not too wet. Uh, it's it's a, it's actually good. Uh, and so, I think it's worth acknowledging that that climate more generally is 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 a positive for for sport. Where it becomes problematic is when we reach reach these extremes, which we seem to see more of in the process of climate change. And so that, you know, these. Um, hazards such as you know hurricanes or, or, or storms or cyclones or, or uh, extreme rainfall or droughts and, and those sorts of things yeah you know, they they are becoming a bit more frequent as the climate system becomes destabilized uh, and when they do happen they're also um, more problematic because they um, are having greater impact so i think that that's one thing we can do we can acknowledge that that climate is is not all bad i think the other key thing um in terms of adaptation, I, I, having the three domains, I think, is, is important. Um, we can adapt at the level of individual participants in sport. We can adapt at facility level and we can adapt uh, um, at the organisation level. Now, um, in, in terms of individual participants, we, we can, we can, there are variables that we can play with. So, for example, if you're a, you're a tennis player, um, 
and it's it's extremely hot. You know, we've got temperatures in excess of 35 degrees Celsius, um, and, and if it's hot or even humid, that makes things more complicated. You know, you can you can make a decision about well how, how long you play for. You might play a tennis game, but you might play it shorter, uh, or you might uh, <clears throat> change the the timing of of the game. And so instead of playing it sort of in the middle of the day when it's you know peak temperature, you might play it a bit earlier or a bit later. You might play it in the evening if you have lighting. Um, uh, if you look at the Australian Open Tennis uh, Championship, um, the Grand Slam Championship, we already see signs of adaptation where we've got, you know, well-established uh, protocols for sort of managing heat stress, you know, so things like, you know, lots of hydration, you know, before and during a, a game. Um, but then there's things like ice towels and, you know, you know, slushies, sort of ice drinks and those sorts of things which can reduce the core temperature of, of, a, of a player. Um, and then if it's, if it's become really uh, unbearable, yeah, well, then we can look at sort of uh, having longer longer breaks in play or uh, we can sort of reschedule. So there's a lot that can be done at the level of individual sports participants. In terms of sports facilities, there's a lot that can be done and it depends on the climate hazard that we're talking about. If we're talking about um, uh, drought-affected sports fields, for example, so one of the things we can do is install water management infrastructure where we can either capture rainfall when it is there or we can just uh, just make sure that we irrigate a little bit more, uh, which is something that sports, sports stadiums in this country found themselves doing uh, in the last decade or so um, during an extended drought and um, they were experiencing greater levels of evaporation from the of water from the uh, surface of the fields. Um, we can also think about when, you know, where we locate sports fields. You know, so if we're going to build a sports stadium, are, um, are we going to build it near a river uh, where there's a, a heightened risk of, of flood events uh, over time? Or are we going to situate it in a slightly higher ground? Um, so, uh, so there's a lot that can be done there. In terms of organisations, I think this is where things can become really exciting, I, I think. Uh, I think sport organisations, their, their primary ad, uh, adaptation task is, is to integrate climate and climate change into their strategic thinking. Uh, I think that that's what organisations, sport organisations really need to do. And this is no easy task. It's complicated, but uh, I think it's sometimes said that we, we can't be what we can't see. And organizations formally see all sorts of things through their strategic plans. You know, if we're a, um, a bank or an airline or insurance company, we, we see risks, you know, financial risks or market risks or reputational risks. And so they become formalized and then become part of the, the, the strategic thinking of you know, companies like, like that. Um, now, I think one of the things that the sports industry has been, but, you know, this is true of, you know, industries beyond sport, has been slow to integrate climate risk, climate hazards into their strategic thinking. So you can't, you can't be what you can't see. If you, if you don't see climate as, as a risk to your operations or to your people or to your um, financial uh, status situation, you can't do anything about it. Now, my view is is that sports organisations would benefit from you know, identifying their the climate risks, the, mo the most likely ones, uh, especially those that are currently being experienced, um, and then thinking about 
okay, um, what would be the consequences of those risks? Now, not all climate hazards have the same risks. You know, some might be likely but have minimal impact uh, and others might be um, unlikely but have catastrophic Im impacts. So I think you know, do, uh, doing an exercise like that really helps. And then I think what sports organisations can do is to think about uh, adaptation goals. You know, well, okay, uh, if we're going to change the way we run a tennis tournament, if we're going to change the way we run, you know, games of football, what do we want to achieve? Do we do we want to be climate resilient? Do we want to reduce costs? Uh, do we want to maybe uh, diversify risks? Um, those sorts of things. And I think then what we can do is we start to think about, okay, well, what types of adaptation do we want to do? Now, the research literature suggests that uh, there's different types of literature, um, but the, the two major ad adaptation types or forms are incremental adaptation, which is small adjustments, small scales, um, not very ambitious um, modifications. And then there's transformative adaptation. Now, transformative adaptation is much more strategic. It's longer term. It's broader in scope and ambition. Now, my, my view is that adaptation involves both incremental and transformative adaptation, but that in order to adapt successfully over time, and this is a task that's going to take you know, years and, and decades, we need to think about, okay, what are the smaller things that we can do today um, that are within our control um, and that we can do now? So maybe we might reschedule a tournament to evening hours when it's too hot in, at times of the year, or we might um, uh, have protocols for uh, sort of managing extreme rainfall events, those sorts of things. Then we might sort of start to have discussions uh, uh, inside our organisation, but also with our partners about, okay, how can we part of, be part of a broader process of societal, societal level adaptation? Now, Climate adaptation is not just occurring in the sports industry, it's also occurring in other parts of society. It's occurring in business and more generally, but it's also occurring um, uh, in you know, education, it's, uh, it's occurring uh, uh, in civil society. How can we sort of partner with other, other groups uh, and individuals about, well, maybe maybe we've got this common problem, you know, we've got uh, people who need exercise, but, um, uh, and we we've got facilities that where where people you know, need or have the opportunity to exercise. How, how can we cooperate or collaborate to do things slightly differently, um, and maybe in some in some majorly different ways? So I think that's probably um, like a, a, an overview of what mm -hmm. people do. I think it, it can do a lot, but it, it really begins with people acknowledging that that climate climate hazards um, present some real challenges over the, the years to come. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's definitely in the best interest of, you know, obviously athletes and sport organizations to, you know, think about um, adapting to, um, you know, uh, the, the, the climate hazards that you, that you're talking about. And, um, you know, if you want to keep playing our sports, obviously we will have to adapt somewhat um, because, you know, you know, even if we stick to the 1.5 degrees of warming by 2050, you know, that, that will still have really broad impacts on um, the climate over the next, you know, 30 years plus. Um, 
and into the future. So, you know, climate resiliency and climate adaptation is really important for, you know, as you say, strategic planning and, and um, yeah, it's, it's definitely in the best interest of sports to take that into account. Um, to, do you think that in addition to that, it's um, a little bit of, you know, sport organizations, um, you know, duty, is, I guess it's like going a little bit outside of your specific areas of research, but is it, is it part of a sport organization's duty to also look at how to reduce their own carbon emissions? Yeah, duty uh, is, you know, an interesting word um, and that suggests uh, obligation. Um, I, I, I think that there's, we, there's, we could probably separate um, out duty or obligation to, to reduce carbon footprint from um, self-interest. Now, we, we, we could make a, a, an argument that um, humanity uh, needs to reduce its carbon footprint uh, because the accumulated emissions of you know, human civilization over the last 500 years means that all parts of society, uh, all societies everywhere need to become effectively carbon neutral you know, in a sort of relatively short space of time. I, th I think there's, there's also a self-interest dimension to reducing carbon footprints. Uh, part of it is, is reputational, that, that it's increasingly evident that organisations, but not, and not just sport organisations, um, do better reputationally if they can demonstrate that they're aware of their carbon footprint uh, and that they are doing as much as they can to reduce it, if, if not eliminate it. Now, to, to give you an example in a, in a, in a sports uh, context, uh, recently uh, Formula One uh, announced that they uh, their, their strategy for becoming carbon neutral um, now, I think the, the goal was to become carbon neutral by, by, by 20, 2030. They, they, uh, and and they, um, they acknowledge that Formula One is a, is a carbon intensive uh, sport. Uh, of course, they, those, those cars, you know, they do use lots of fuels and the fuels are fossil fuel based fuels. Uh, and um, they said, naturally, it's got a carbon footprint. And, and they were, I, I think, cognizant that, that there was a, the perception that, you know, you know, it was a sport with, with significant, or at least a reasonably significant carbon footprint. Now, um, and then what they did was, was they, they they identified the carbon footprint and they broke it down into different areas. It includes uh, logistics and transport, and there's the, the fuels you know, directly from the, the cars themselves, and then there's you know, um, uh, factories and the facilities, test facilities, and stuff like that. So, um, although Formula One has some way to to becoming genuinely sort of uh, carbon neutral and I, and I think it's a challenge that is going to be extremely difficult to, to meet um, th there's a real benefit for, for Formula One in, in doing that because th they are demonstrating that they that they understand climate change or, or, or that they acknowledge that, that there's an issue there uh, and so sports fans um, are much less likely to be critical of them and, and also environmental groups are much less likely to be critical of them I think some sports, such as Formula One, uh, need to be uh, mindful of the concept of social license to operate, which is the, the you know this basically the permission that society or community gives you know a, a company or organisation to to do what it does. Um, uh, so Formula One could find itself in a position where you know its social license to operate is gradually sort of you know sort of lost from community because you know it's it's too entrenched in the fossil fuel economy 
So I think there's, do we have a duty to reduce our carbon footprint? Arguably, yes, we all do, because that's, that's just you know, uh, something that all humans need to address. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- d- but could we benefit from just doing it anyway? Because it's, because it's good for us. Uh, I think uh, that's, that's something that sports organizations can, can think about. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to do things better. Um, of course, there, there is uh, costs that, that come with that. And I mean, to give you an example, if, if or another example, uh, if you think about the national sports comp- competition, so it could be like you know, the National Football League or Major League Baseball, or you know, in here in Australia, we've got the Australian Football League. They're, these are genuinely national competitions where we've got professional teams who are traveling, crisscrossing the country on jet aircraft, flying into cities to, to play each other at big stadiums. Now, uh, when you've got a, an aviation history, which depends on fossil fuels, which is for the foreseeable future, that means that those sports competitions necessarily have a carbon footprint. It's not, they're not direct emissions. The emissions, the scope one emissions that, that are accrued belong to the airlines because it's their aircraft, which is burning fossil fuels. But the scope two, uh, sorry, scope three emissions for um, the sports teams because that's part of the the supply chain and, and processes. So, and so, if if we if we as sports want want to reduce our carbon footprints, we may have to think about how much we travel, how often we travel, and particularly if that involves jet aircraft, you know, the, the further we travel, so the more we are embedded in the fossil fuel economy and therefore we are contributing to the problem. Now, mm-hmm. that's that's not an easy solve for sport. I think- No, yeah, because, yeah. because sport is very, you know, you can't do that over Zoom, right? Yeah, you yeah, have to travel I, for Zoom or you have to travel for sports rather. Yeah, well, that's right. And how, how does, you know, a, a competition like the NFL, you know, just, you know, walk away from this this national model? You know, it's, you know it would be, it, it would be sort of recasting sport in such a way as to make it, you know, almost meaningless. Uh, now, but uh, that's not to say that we as sports organisations don't think about that sort of stuff. I, I think um, it's, it's in sports longer term interests to engage with how do we do things differently? Now, um, maybe we, we could look at sort of uh, reducing travel, minimising travel, maybe, um, you know, you know, when, when, when people sort of, you know, you know, you give someone a lift, you know, you give someone a lift in the car. So there's two people in the car instead of, instead of one. Maybe we get sports teams traveling on the same flight to, to reduce the number of travels without necessarily eliminating. But again, it comes back to this idea of integrating uh, climate into strategic thinking. You can't be or you can't adapt what you can't see. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's the, the strategic challenge that that's facing both community sport, but also you know, sub elite and elite sport. And that is, okay, this is going on. It's real. It's going to play out over multiple decades. Um, how are we going to do things differently? And how can we do things differently with, with our partners? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, as I, as I said, you know, it's definitely in the best interest of everyone involved in sports to, you know, take these into consideration when you're doing strategic planning. And, um, you know, yeah, it's, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's in everyone's best interest to think about these things from the, from the beginning. So 
Do you have any last messages for everybody listening? Um, well, uh, I, I think, first of all, you know, there's, there's agency, you know, you know, humans have agency. We, we can make decisions about what we do. There, there are choices to be made. Things can be done differently and, and they can be done better. They can be done at the, at the level of individuals. You know, you know, we can, um, if you're a sports fan, you can do, do simple things, you know. So if you're able to catch public transport to your, your game of tennis or football, well, then that, that helps. Uh, if you can't do that, uh, can you, you know, uh, share, you know, get a ride with, with a friend? And so instead of having three cars driving to a game of game of baseball, you can, you can have just, just the one. Um, uh, I, I think there's also um, using you know, your opinion matters. If you're, you're a sports fan, if you're a, uh, a fan of the New York Yankees, or if you're a fan of, you know, the Blue Jays or, you know, you, you can sort of tell your sports teams that, look, you know, climate matters to us and we would like you to think about how you do your sport. How do you, how are your operations configured? Can you, can you do things in a way that if, if not eliminate your carbon footprint, but su substantially reducing this, you know, um, I think that matters. Um, I think if you're a sport organisation, uh, I think you can, integrate climate into your strategic thinking you, you can do it because um other other organizations are doing it anyway um you know banks airlines and insurance companies all have climate change plans now so there's no reason why sports can't do the same i, I think that that's probably the, the key message is that, that there's agency you know, at, at, whether it's at the level of an individual person or a, a team uh, or you know a, a national governing body that there's there's a lot that can be done um I guess one one thing I, I would finish on, and, and that would be that try to develop some climate literacy. Um, now, there's the uh, there's a, a group in the United Kingdom called the Carbon Literacy Pro Project, and you know they develop projects and, and uh, or programs for just developing people's you know basic carbon literacy. You don't have to be you know a climate scientist, but you can understand some of the basics that we've talked about today. What are climate hazards? You know, what are climate risks? What are impacts? What's that adaptation? Just understanding, you know, enough to know that there's a lot that can be done. It can be done really effectively uh, and hopefully at, at low cost. And that we can all be part of something bigger. Um, that's that's probably uh, what I would finish on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for coming on and talking to us. We, you know, you definitely gave us a lot to think about. Um, and I, you know, I very much appreciate you coming on and. and uh, it was a really great um, conversation and I hope that everybody listening, um, you know, walks away having learned something. Oh, is that a pleasure to talk to you, David. Thank you once again to Greg for coming on and speaking to us about uh, sports climate change and adaptability. My key takeaways from this episode are first that, you know, uh, Greg gave us many examples of how sports is already being impacted by climate change. Uh, so, you know, climate change is already here. It's impacting sports. It's impacting athletes. So even if we are able to reduce our emissions by 2030 and then you'll know, go net zero by 2050, 
we are still in hot water. Which really drives home the point that we have to, you know, sport orgs and athletes need to start planning for climate hazards. How will they be able to operate in a different world? How will they be able to def- uh, uh, operate in a different climate? These are important questions that everyone in the sport industry needs to be talking about and thinking about. So for the next episode, we will be talking about how sports can start reducing their own carbon emissions and how they can how they themselves can take a stand. So for part two of sport and climate change, that will be coming out next week. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll talk with you next time.